we're going to go ahead and read the whole passage. Let's go ahead and read together 11 verses 1 through 19. And uh, then we'll jump through and make some comment about the first couple verses and, and come up with some really cool stuff in those two verses. Go ahead and read along with me. Revelation 11 verses 1 through 19 says this. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is symbolically called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Before we jump into the text, let me point out that there are two main schools of interpretation for chapter 11. And this simplifies a lot, a lot of behind-the-scenes study and work. But there are two schools of interpretation. We don't have them listed in your study notes, but if you're taking notes, I'll go slowly. The first one is this. The temple, the altar, the worshipers, the holy city, all of these symbols in uh, the first part of Revelation 11 refer to the Jewish people and their place in the plan of God. That's one of the main schools of interpretation. 
that the temple, the altar, the worshipers, and the holy city refer to the Jewish people and their place in the plan of God. Second school of interpretation is that chapter 11 is referring to the church. In basic terms, summarizing a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes study, those are the two main schools of interpretation. Okay? You can be a believer and believe either one. You probably can't likely believe much of both at the same time. But you can believe either one of those at the same time. I personally am of the second school. I believe this refers to the church. I do not think that these symbols in Revelation are used to tell us about the place of the Jewish people in the plan of God, nor do I think this chapter tells us about whether there will be a literal temple rebuilt in Jerusalem before Jesus can come back. Now, you can be a believer and think that the first interpretation is correct, that this is about the people of Israel and the plan of God. I'm not here to tell you that you're... Well, I am a little bit here to tell you that I think you're wrong. But you can be a believer and think that. Along the way, I'll provide some reasons, um, but you're still a Christ follower, first or second interpretation. Don't, don't give in to people who will tell you anything other than that. I believe Revelation 11 is referring to the church, the group of believers who are the true followers of Christ, known only in the mind of God. That's an important to understand before we dig in, so let's go ahead and get at it. Verse 1 says this, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. It says, then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. Now we're going to spend a lot of time here on verse 1, because how you interpret it sort of uh, sets the tone for the rest of the passage. A friendly reminder here that the eye in verse 1 there is John the Apostle, who was one of the first 12 disciples, one of the original 12 who became the ruling elders and leaders of the early church. Regardless of what uh, any constitution and bylaws this side of heaven say, uh, the church was never a democracy. It was a theocracy where Christ was the head, where Christ was the head, and where elders led insofar as they are connected to the head. So this is one of John's uh, this is one of Jesus' inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. This is that John who is John the Apostle who has written this. So he is the one writing here in Revelation 11. Now remember that Revelation is a book of prophetic imagery. It's a, it's a picture book. It's not a road map. Uh, that's an important thing to distinguish. Uh, it, it's a book that gathers up images from all over Scripture to teach spiritual truths. It gathers up all these images and these concepts from all over Scripture to teach spiritual truths. So Revelation is a book of prophetic imagery. That's the reason Revelation can be really hard to interpret. Because we come to the text with a a, a very small amount of knowledge intuitively about the Scriptures versus, for example, what John has. So John the Apostle is hearing this vision. He's seeing this vision given to him from an angel, from Jesus, from God the Father. So we're the fifth in that transmission line. He's getting this vision, and he's seeing this, and he's interpreting what he sees through what he knows about Scripture. Which means it's it's a hard interpretive task for us. So, here in Revelation 11, 
John was given figuratively, meaning in his vision, he was given a measuring rod like a staff, it says. In the ancient Near East, these staffs were sort of like uh, bamboo shoots. Sometimes they were literally bamboo shoots. They could be up to 20 feet tall. And there were a couple different ways to measure, of course. Uh, but a measuring rod like a staff would have been a, a, a solid, straight uh, staff or reed like a bamboo stick up to 20 feet high. Uh, anything sort of higher than that, they would use rope. Uh, but he's not given rope for this. He's given a measuring rod like a staff. So John was given a ruler so he could measure three things. Listen to the text again. It says, I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure, and here are the three things, the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. We don't have a whole lot of time to develop this particular point fully, but I believe that the measuring here is about protection and is about preservation of the people of God. It's about protection. You know, you know we, we measure things for different reasons, of course. And one of them is to assess the state of something, to sort of measure its health and its welfare. In other words, why would you measure something that's already built? And why would you measure people in this passage? You would measure people for the purpose of knowing who God's people are. Remember, this is a figurative measurement. This isn't John uh, getting an instruction from God saying, okay, go and literally measure a temple because he's seeing a vision and he's saying, measure the people of God. It's like God is saying, I know my people. I know exactly who they are. And so this is measurement that's about protection and preservation. Uh, Most Bible scholars nowadays, nowadays agree with that. Well, I should say I agree with them because it's not like they're asking me my opinion. Now, John has been given the task of measuring three things. He's been given the task of measuring three things, and there's an important thing to note in common about these three things. And if you're a note taker, you may want to circle the three things and and write a little arrow uh, that says presence of God. The temple, the altar, and those who worship there are all really about the presence of God. Of God. Here's how we know this. And we're going to camp out here a while to make a really cool point about how revelation fits with the big picture of Scripture and God's work in the world. There are lots of reasons why we know that this is about the presence of God. I'm just going to give you two. Okay? First, in the New Testament, there are two words used for temple. One is a broad term that refers to the entire temple complex as most of us generally think about it. Um, Those of you who are familiar might know that Herod's temple was this huge temple complex with colonnades that went hundreds and hundreds of yards around this whole outer court. Then there was the temple uh, that was inside the inner court. And and that Herod's temple is one of the general ways of talking about temple. That is not the way being used here in this passage. The word used here in verse 1 for temple is naos, N-A-O-S. It refers here to the smaller inner temple where only the priests were allowed. Now, this inner temple was where God's presence was considered especially close. God was considered especially 
present in that inner temple. And inside that inner temple, there was the Holy of Holies, where only the great high priests went once a year because the Ark of the Covenant was there. So that's part of how we know that this is about God's presence and not about John preparing for a literal temple to be built in Jerusalem. The temple referred to here is the inner temple and not the whole temple complex as we think of it. That's one of the reasons. Second, when John sees this vision and is handed a measuring rod like a staff and told to measure the temple, the altar, and those who worship there, it without a doubt reminded him of a long passage, an important passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 40 through 48. Without a doubt, it reminded him of Ezekiel 40 through 48. You've got to remember that John knows his Old Testament like the back of his hand, and so he's so well acquainted with the Scriptures that he sees this vision, and he instantly is filtering it through. It's why John got this vision, and you and I did not. He's filtering it through his knowledge of Ezekiel. So he sees this, and there's an important passage here where Ezekiel watches in his vision in Ezekiel 40 through 48, he watches an angel measure a temple and is given some instruction himself about measuring. We don't have time to turn there and to study it closely because we'd be here for two days. Uh, But Ezekiel 40 through 48 is a vision of an ideal temple. If you're a note taker, Ezekiel 40 through 48 is a vision about the ideal temple. It's a prophecy of a new temple, the ideal temple yet to come. And it is a vision ultimately about God promising his presence to be reestablished in that temple. But the key is, what is that temple? Ezekiel 40 through 48 is God promising to reestablish his presence in of the temple, but the key question is, what temple is that referring to? I think John is picking up on that and saying, it's referring to the temple that I'm supposed to measure here. But here is a really cool thing. God's promised that his presence will be reestablished in the temple, but here in Revelation 11, John is asked figuratively to prepare for that same thing, to measure the temple and the altar, but it includes something that's not in Ezekiel, that is in John. It includes those who worship. In other words, and this is a way to summarize a ton of behind-the-scenes interpretive work, Uh, We've gone from a vision in Ezekiel that is on the face of it about a literal building to a vision in Revelation that adds this detail about the people who inhabit the building. Simply put, this is about God inhabiting a people. Revelation is picturing for us how Scripture has been pointing to this time when God will inhabit a people. Which is why I think there's no reason for another temple to have to be built before Jesus comes. This is about God inhabiting people and not just a building. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, super cool passage, do you not know that you are God's temple? You are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. 
It's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 6, for we are the temple of the living God. It says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, so think about this for a second. The vision in Revelation 11 can't be about a literal building. Why would Revelation 21:22, in fact, later on, which is a picture of the new Jerusalem, why would it say, I saw no temple in the city? For the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty in the land. Because any place where God lives by His Spirit is a temple. Which means that, friends, we are the temple. You are God's temple. The images in Revelation aren't so that you will spend, send your money to Israel. They're so that you will have a heart that's open to be used as a place that God can fill. That's why Revelation comes last in the Scripture. Because it pictures the consummation, the goal of God's true building project. Please don't miss this because it's, it's crucial to understanding what it means to be made in God's image. And to understand how wildly important you are. The temple where God wants to live is you. The temple where God wants to live. The project he's been building. The witness of scripture. The reason Jesus came. The reason the Holy Spirit descended on the first church and is available to us now is so that God's spirit can inhabit this temple. It's a beautiful and mind-bending truth. But we have verse 2 to get to, so let's get to that. So John is told to measure the temple, the altar, and those who worship there. And he says this, and this is part of why I believe this is about measuring the true church. It says, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Verse 2 helps make the point that this measuring is about the true church because it includes the instruction not to include the outer court. The outer court was uh, frequented by a mixed group of people. Basically, anybody could come to that outer court in the temple area. It included what is called the goyim, the non-Jews. It included non-believers. Even the Romans could have gone there in Jesus' day. So this fits with Ezekiel 44, 5 through 9, where in measuring the temple, Ezekiel is told to exclude the foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh. So John sees this vision and he thinks again of Ezekiel. This also fits with the rest of the New Testament where we see that wheat and chaff are in the same field. Sheep and goats are in the same pen. 
the church will be a place that will undergo hardship and trial. That's the picture that's being given to us here. That's why verse 2 says, they, meaning the nations, the world, unbelievers, will trample the holy city for 42 months. This is a picture of uh, persecution. It's a picture of persecution. Believers get trampled. They get trampled, this side of heaven, even to the point of death. But even that death doesn't have power over believers, this side of heaven. And I think that this is a picture of what has been happening, in fact, what is still happening, even in the middle of God's project of building for himself a people where he lives. In so doing, they take on the character of Jesus, who was himself trampled and yet not defeated. More on that next week. So, one little little point to add here. I don't have a whole lot of time to, to delve into this a whole lot. But let me just say briefly that that most numbers in Revelation are meaningful in relation to one another and not by themselves. It's like the imagery in Revelation. Numbers and imagery are used to teach spiritual truth. That doesn't mean they aren't real, and it doesn't mean they don't have meaning. Because all spiritual truth has real consequences. So long story short, I don't think John is being told that persecution is only going to happen for 42 months during a tribulation at the end of time before Jesus is able to come back, which, by the way, doesn't make me liberal. It just makes me someone in the minority in the last 100 years in America. And I think in the majority, next side of heaven. I think John is being told that persecution is temporary. We'll talk about that more with the beast in a couple different places soon. Uh, In summary, for the 42 months here, I've written something in your study notes that may be helpful. We don't have time to get into this a whole lot, but at the bottom of your study notes there, it says this, the 42 months of verse 2, the 1260 days of 12.6 and a time times and half a time of 12.14 are equivalent expressions for the three and a half years or the temporary reign. That's the part that I've added there in brackets. The temporary reign of the Antichrist's rule and all are derived from Daniel's prophecies. So you can uh, look at that a little bit later. In summary for verses 1 and 2, if I could just put in one quick little sentence, the true church is going to be protected. Regardless of what you think about the details, regardless of your school of interpretation of Revelation or chapter 11, the true church is going to be protected during persecution which means there's cause for hope. And that protection during times of difficulty and frustration and suffering and persecution, whether it is a physical thing or whether it is a spiritual battle, that kind of protection and that kind of hope comes because we are called to be vessels of God's presence. That's the message in the first two verses. Because what God is doing in creation and in history 
is he is building for himself a context where he can live, where he can reign forever. That is the big picture story here. So don't miss the forest for the trees. God is calling you, he's calling me, he's calling us to be the temple where he can live. He's called us to give ourselves to his purposes of filling us so that his goodness and his holiness and his character and his nature would be his building project in you and in me. That's the spiritual battle that Revelation is really about. That's what the Word of God is truly calling us to. The kind of spiritual battle that opens ourselves where we are given to the Holy Spirit filling us as His temple. So do away with all silly, with all perverted, with all earthly goals that are infinitely less fulfilling and helpful to you and to the cause of Christ than being filled with His Holy Spirit. So this holiness and His goodness will be the goal. In fact, the message of Revelation is if you're in that spiritual battle, if you're in that war now as a believer in Christ, you are open to His work no matter what it looks like and what it feels like. That's somebody who believes. That's somebody who will not abandon the post. That's somebody who understands that what God is building in us has nothing whatsoever to do with temporary, silly, earthly goals that we've been raised from birth to care about by the world. May we continue to study the Word and become people who do not fritter away our lives in silly pursuits, but who give ourselves to being a vessel for God's holiness. That's why spiritual battle matters. Let's pray.